Welcome, 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 my good people, to another edition, episode number two, episode number two out the box, 20 Pillar Lane. This is JJ, enigmatic one, the host, and I'm joined today uh, by a special co-host, Mr. John Yarbrough. John, how are you doing, sir? Doing good. What's going on, coach? I'm just trying to make it, trying to make it. I had, uh, had a pretty full day today. Had uh, Kids were out of school today, but... Uh, of course, teachers had to go, and uh, they did enough to keep us busy, uh, and I'm actually still supposed to be there, but I snuck out, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good day to uh, good day to be a role model for the kids, I say. Uh, first of all, let's take care of the, the, the incidentals. Shout out to Anchor uh, for, for hosting this podcast. Shout out to Spotify and Pocket Cast, who just picked us up. Uh, but we got a lot of topics today. We got a lot of topics today. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, full disclosure, uh, those who don't know, me and John are from the same hometown, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, went to high school together, and I'm going to go ahead. You guys know a little bit about me. I'm going to go ahead and let, let John give you a quick introduction uh, about himself and a little bit about his background. All right. Thanks, Coach. Uh, yeah, we go back to junior high school, actually. Uh, ninth grade Brubaker. My, my memory doesn't go back that far. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were only one year at junior high. Uh, seventh grade, uh, I was at Floyd. Eighth grade, I was at GW, uh, Georgia Washington. And ninth grade, I was at Brubaker. And then, like you said, we went to JD together. So, uh, and you lived next door to my uh, to my stepbrothers. So. So how do we qualify that? Did I live next door to them, or did they live next door to me? They lived I'm next just door kidding. to you. I'm just kidding. You. You know, that, that, was, that was your neighborhood, you know. <laughs> so on the docket today, first first topic, we're going to talk a little bit about this R. Kelly situation. Um, for those who don't know, uh, we, 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 we're aware of last podcast, we talked a little bit about the surviving R. Kelly documentary. Um John just happened to uh, kind of uh, take in the Surviving R. Kelly document over the last couple of days, so he's probably a little bit fresher on it uh, than me. Uh, but we've all witnessed the latest CBS interview uh, with Gail King, Oprah's best friend, and R. Kelly. And uh, at that point in time that I that I witnessed that interview, I came to realize that R. Kelly, uh, everything's kind of gotten to him, man. Uh, my my guy was really he's he's really going through some things and uh, rightfully so he is uh, seems to be flying off the handle. Uh, I just I just referenced uh, some of the things he said in the interview. I mean he was he was talking about how they were taking his life from him and he 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 was being put through all this thing and then and out of the blue he just started talking about why would he keep somebody captive and then let him out of the house to go get a shoe from their uncle. And that shit just totally threw me for a loop. I didn't know what he was talking about. So, John, I know you got a chance to watch the Surviving R. Kelly documentary um, over the last day or two. What 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 did you think about it? Man, I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> it, it was mind-blowing. You know, I only got, uh, like, three episodes into it, and I, I was at the point where I was just dumbfounded. You know, uh, we hear about the accusations and, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, people come forward and, you know, it, it's about 
money or trying to bring someone's name through the mud or just trying no to put someone down. But, you know, I never really, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, I never really delved into uh, this whole R. Kelly thing uh, before this new series came out. And just watching it, man, uh, it, I, I believe the, the women, uh, you know, it they, they were just too specific about things and they all had the same uh, experiences that they explained and uh, and uh, the behaviors that he, uh, you know, exuded to them. So it, it was it was just like, you know, how how do you allow your allow your kids and allow your 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 friends and in one case i think this this lady's name was sparkle uh, right. allow her niece to be alone with this guy and she already knew beforehand there was something that wasn't right when he was with uh Aaliyah and you know things like that even even his even okay, his John, bodyguard no, and his no, you said um this lady's name is sparkle do you know who sparkle is um do you remember the song sparkle song no, I don't. Uh, so I think we were. I think we were in like uh, maybe seven or eighth grade. Uh, but it's a song "Be Careful," uh, where he, she's saying, "Be careful," because uh, you might, your man might uh, turn around on you. Uh, it's a pretty catchy song. Yes, you should download. It's in the. It's in the twelve playish kind of category. Uh, I'm gonna stop you there because. You said some interesting stuff, and everybody kind of agrees on most of that. But I'm I'm about to get controversial here, and I'm about to uh I'm about to take take another approach to it. Uh, first of all, before the documentary, were you aware of the situation with Aaliyah as far as them being accused of being married and that type of thing? I was not. No. Oh, okay. Uh, so having known that, my question is. He was he was supposedly a mar- married to Aaliyah. There was a, a marriage certificate that was uh, brought about. Uh, the gaps in that story. Uh, well, what you might not know is that after that documentary came out, uh, that particular portion, Aaliyah's mom. We know Aaliyah is, has since passed. Uh, rest in peace, Aaliyah. Uh, passed in a plane crash. Uh, I remember that. Probably about 16, 17 years ago. Uh, so her mom came out and basically said that the things they were alleging weren't true, uh, that R. Kelly and her daughter were not in a relationship, and she didn't want anybody talking about her daughter in a negative light, uh, thus and so. Uh, now, the public kind of took the, the position that maybe she just didn't like the fact that her daughter's name was brought up because she has passed, and uh, it was in a negative light. Uh, but then there was another sentiment that said, well, if her mom is saying that it didn't happen, uh, why would she lie? Uh, you know, but my question is, from a legal from a legal standpoint, if he was indeed married to Aaliyah when she he was 20 something years old and she was uh, 14, allegedly, I, I, uh, I believe he was 27. and She was 15. I could be wrong. OK. Okay, 27 and 15. I'm wondering why that would not have brought about a case because that came to the public eye. So I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering. I know that 
I guess the assumption is just because they were married doesn't mean they had a physical relationship. But I mean, I'm I'm just wondering why they why they wouldn't raise a red flag and and immediately be brought uh, brought up as a legal situation, um, especially with both of them being in the public eye. Yeah, if you don't mind me addressing that, um, I kind of yeah, you know, uh, going by what they were what they were talking about in the uh, in the series um, surviving R. Kelly. Uh, you know, he had a lot of non-disclosures with people. So it was very possible in my mind that he may have had a non-disclosure with Aaliyah and her family and, and possibly, you know, this is just theoretical, uh, you know, from my standpoint, possibly could have paid them money and had them sign paperwork saying that if they were to ever bring it up or ever to try to negate uh, what, you know, the story R. Kelly presented, then he could turn around and sue them or, you know, whatever the case may be. Because See, I, I, I believe you may be correct. My only problem is, is our legal system so bad that uh, NDA can override what is overwhelmingly obvious in the public eye is, is somebody breaking the law? Uh, because I've seen, you know, uh, district attorneys and uh other police personnel pick up charges on individuals, even if the if the witness, uh, you know, is not willing to come forward uh, when there's an over overwhelming amount of evidence. Uh, and it just it just seems like that was public. It was it was in the public eye, just like this documentary is public. And after the documentary, you get you know new charges and new evidence uh, coming in. I just don't understand why uh, the legal system would not have picked it up. I know. Uh, within the documentary, they talked about uh, possibly police officers or law enforcement officers being uh, on Kelly's payroll or protecting him for for uh, some odd reason. But that just struck me as, as interesting. The other thing that struck me as interesting um, is the public backlash from the documentary against R. Kelly um, was interesting because people tended to address him messing with uh, young children or, or messing with uh, underage girls. Uh, they, tend to, they tended to address uh, or deal with that as, as if all of those young ladies were older, old, I mean, were underage uh, young ladies when he, when he, I guess, messed with them. Uh, and <laughs> for one particular female I was wondering why she was on the show uh, because one of the ladies was, she was like 35, 40 years old. And she, she had just finished dealing with R. Kelly like a couple of years ago. And she was complaining. I think she was from the Georgia area, Atlanta area. And she was complaining about, um, I guess his controlling uh, activities and things of that nature. Maybe that's the reason that she was on there was to, to speak on that aspect. Um, but, it's just it was just interesting to me how everybody kind of lumped all of those young ladies into being underage uh underage uh victims uh when some of them were of age now now go ahead it, it, um i don't remember the the lady's name but she was talking about that uh i think she was the girlfriend of r kelly at one point um, yep. and r kelly allegedly had um roped her in with another girl and had a th yep. had a threesome essentially 
uh, on a on a makeshift bed, and a, a, allegedly this young girl was uh, underage, uh, fourteen or fifteen at the time of the incident, and R. Kelly actually videotaped this threesome, and this lady was on the on the series, and saying that you know she was tricked into having uh, sex right. with a, with the underage girl and R. Kelly. So I mean, okay. So let me stop you right there and ask you a question. Sure. If, well, not even if she admitted that she had sex with an underage young lady when she was of age, because I think she was uh, seventeen or sixteen, and the girl was fourteen or fifteen. But at the time that she had sex with that young lady, she was of age. Right. If now I don't know if that case is part of some of the cases that R. Kelly has been charged with recently. But if there's no statute of limitations on things of the nature, why wouldn't she be brought up on charges for admitting it? Even, let's just say, if you had a friend who was 25 years old and he went to the mall and was talking to a young lady and she told him he was eight, she was 18 and they had a conversation that led to them going back to his, his apartment and he had sex with her and found out she was indeed 13 or 14 years old, even though she lied to him and tricked him. I, we've always been taught ignorance is, is no excuse for breaking the law. Exactly. So he could probably be criminally charged. So why wouldn't she be criminally charged as well as R. Kelly in that situation? Well, it, you know, I haven't followed up on it because, I, you know, I've just finished, uh, you know, I've just been watching these shows. But, you know, as far as I know, you know, no one said that she's she's free and clear. You know, there, there is I'm sure there is a possibility that she could be charged. But, you know, going back to, you know, if this goes to like a, a jury type of thing, you know, the jury could possibly look at it like she was uh, brainwashed by R. Kelly. And, you know, this this uh, threesome with an underage girl was part of that brainwash. So she, you know, she can play the victim as well. Okay, John. Ask you a question. Did you did you watch this damn uh, documentary when you was with some women? No, because you uh, you coming from the female uh, perspective, and that's exactly what they've been saying that a lot of these women were brainwashed. And I get it, I get that they were brainwashed, but in that situation, there is no excuse. Like you can't use a man can't use. He was brainwashed as an excuse for him committing a crime, so she can't be excused from that either. And again, I will say publicly that I think that R. Kelly is guilty as well, and he should be prosecuted to the extent of the law. I'm just playing devil's advocate on some of these issues uh, because what on the last podcast, and I talked about how when this issue was discussed on social media as the documentary was going on, there were a lot of people who have been associates, friends, Facebook friends, social media friends for a long time. And they made comments in different forms, whether they supported R. Kelly or whether they were against R. Kelly. And in those comments, people got really offended by how somebody either supported R. Kelly or how they said that you shouldn't listen to his music anymore. 
And, you know, if somebody said you shouldn't listen to the music, if somebody else is saying, well, you know, I'm going to listen to the music because uh, I don't have nothing to do with that and I don't see nothing wrong you did. And so it's, there were a lot of people who lost friends and deleted people and things of that nature. And so my thing was, why do we let issues like this that are involving celebrities cause us to delete people out of our life based on their opinion, as if nobody's allowed to have their opinion no more. Well, you know, the way I look at it, um, you know, people are prideful. They don't want they don't want to be wrong and they don't want to admit that they're wrong. Um, so it, it comes from a, a pride standpoint. It's like, um, you know, OK, well, you prove me wrong, but you know what? I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do it anyway because you can't control me, you know. Um, but okay, well, let me ask you this: Is is someone's opinion wrong because it's their opinion? No, you're, you know, the, it's an opinion. There is no right or wrong with an opinion. Uh, facts are facts. Opinion is uh, is up to the person, up to the individual. Would would somebody's opinion cause you to look at them differently in the aspect of, let's just say? Well, if if that person thinks in that manner, then I'd rather just not not deal with them. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I'm just going to be real with you, though. You know that. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, my, I mean, <clears throat> I, mine would, too. I mean, it just depends on what it is. Uh, but in, in certain situations, I'd be like, oh, that's how they think? Yeah, let me. It's not my cup of tea. Let me let me keep it moving. If you don't mind so, going back uh, and, and yeah, go ahead. kind of addressing the, uh, the 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 alleged relationship with Aaliyah, you know, I think it was uh, R. Kelly's manager uh, or former manager from the series yep. that that came out and said that he felt bad for um, for, for getting a hold of false documentation in order for them to obtain a marriage license because Aaliyah was 15 at the time right. and the marriage license, she told the courts that she was 18. Yeah. He's an accessory. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, it, it, the thing that stands out to me is that all these people are admitting that they had involvement with it. So if, if, why would they go out and, and say that they had part of it if it wasn't true, you know, no one's going to put their own neck on the chopping block if something's not true. You know what I'm saying? That's that's where I come from. That's what I that's how I see it. Well, I don't know. It depends. It depends. There are some people who when given an an out or when given an assurance that hey, if you can offer anything about this then we'll uh you know, we won't prosecute you because, you know, of course, you're not the one uh, that we want. So uh, there's some of that element to it. Uh, and then there's some of the element of it is a documentary. I'm sure uh, some of those people were compensated. Uh, and even if they weren't compensated for that, uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, in the urban community, we got a lot of different um, radio stations that uh, we listen to as far as nationally that, that do uh, – YouTube broadcast. You got the Breakfast Club. You got Hot 97 uh, in New York, as well as some other stores across the country. But the Breakfast Club is 
one of the most famous, uh, one Power 105 uh, in New York. And a couple of these people went on the circuit, on that circuit afterwards, doubling down on some of the things that, that, that were said within the, uh, within the documentary. And a portion of that was they had upcoming projects uh, that were also being released uh, at the, around the same time this documentary came out. So a lot of people, well, I'm not going to say a lot, some of the public lost the meaning in what they were saying because they felt like some of them were seeking uh, to gain from from the, the notoriety that may come from uh, the documentary. Uh, for example, Sparkle. Sparkle had, I think, an album or, or, or a song that was released uh, either the same night of the uh, documentary or, or a couple of days after the documentary was released. So a lot of people were saying that, um, you know, that could be part of the reason why she was involved. The other aspect is in that documentary, you saw uh, Andrea Kelly, R. Kelly's uh, ex-wife, who was who was interviewed, uh, and she you know she talked about you know him not being in their children's life and uh, just a laundry list of things that occurred in their relationship uh, where she was kind of isolated from people and things of that nature, uh, which which went in uh, went along with a lot of the things that the other uh, ladies were saying. Um, within Andrea Kelly's own uh, kind of stratosphere of, of things that that's going on. People are questioning her uh, and her motives uh, just simply because you know she's got she's had public videos uh, where she's uh, in the car dancing to R. Kelly's music, saying you know that's my baby's daddy and uh, that type of thing. And this was like a last year or, or uh, two years ago. Uh, she's also um, you know been on a couple of different reality shows uh and she's coming under fire on as far as why she won't drop the kelly from her name and use her maiden name since uh you know it's it represents such such horror for her uh and people are saying she's trying to capitalize on being married to r kelly that type of thing uh, if you uh so let me touching on that real quick yeah go ahead um you know it, it's you know it's not out of the ordinary for uh for a, you know, a divorced woman to keep her ex-husband's last name if her kids have the same last name as their father. Oh, good point. So it, you know, it, it really depends on how you look at it. It's all about perspective. You know, it could be, you could be right. She might be trying to hold on to that last name as, uh, you know, a monetary gain, or she might be looking at it like, you know, I'll, I want it to, I want my kids to have the same last name as, as, that I do, you know, so that we feel more like a unit. Not necessarily. That's interesting. I've never heard that point before. That's actually a good point. Everybody else was saying that she was just trying to capitalize or or uh, they didn't see why, you know, they, they understand that some uh, some people, one of the most famous people uh, who was in an abusive relationship who kept the name was Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. uh, she kept the name, uh, the last name Turner uh, from her husband, Ike Turner. And, uh, Everybody said, you know, it was because that's how she got her fame as far as her, her career. Uh, but, you know, Andrea Kelly was a dancer and uh, not out in the public persona. So they didn't think that, you know, her name was uh, beneficial to her career in that, in that manner. But 
I'm until you just said that I've never heard uh, anybody raise that point that you know maybe it's because you know our kids had the same last name and keeping the family unit intact. So pretty good point. Which when we talk about keeping that family unit intact, uh, shortly after his interview with Gail King, um, R. Kelly was arrested. Uh, he was arrested after a hearing on child support and. Uh, I guess at the hearing, it was uh, reported that he owed about $160,000 in back child support, uh, which his, his wife actually had addressed uh, in a couple of different uh, videos before that, I guess, when she when she came out talking about him, that he cut her off, uh, cut her money off. Uh, and it's, it's debatable as to whether he cut off because he was mad or he cut off because he's having financial difficulties. Uh, but that kind of brings me to a, a couple of Facebook posts that I saw where people were questioning whether uh, how he could possibly get into a situation where uh, he owed that amount of child support. Uh, and as I told one of my friends, uh, that possibly with the money that he was making, it possibly wasn't even a year's worth of child support. Uh, if you think about $160,000, uh, he's a millionaire. He's probably paying... Uh, in five figures every month. If, uh, and so uh, that could possibly only represent three or four months, you know. Right. Uh, I want to say three children. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say he's, he's got three children, so and they're all under 18 from what I understand. So uh, it's, it's very possible it could be, you know, five-digit five, five number. I, I believe the number, and I, I could be wrong, but I think I remember seeing the number was somewhere around 25000 a month. Gotcha. So you're looking at what six months? Yeah, about six months. So, you know, it, it's and, and people look at it. They 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 try to uh, relate it to their own terms. You know, like right. I pay X amount of dollars a month per, for child support, and so when you think about it, it's nowhere near twenty five thousand a month. So they're trying to put it that kind of money and that perspective yeah right so <laughs> yeah because like, for some people that's that's 10 years exactly and, and so that's what they're they they look at it like oh well r kelly's gotten a pass for the last 10 years for not paying child support but that's not the case you know it's been six months and it's not hard to get behind on child support no nah, it ain't and, and once you get behind it's hard to see you catch up oh yeah yeah definitely which which brings me to another point uh child support pros and cons of child support. It's very interesting how child support seems to work in different states. Uh, there are, of course, different laws, but it, it, I think most people would generally agree that child support seems to uh, lean more toward, toward uh being beneficial to uh, the female parent as opposed to the child, in essence, uh, I think, um, and I'm, I'm giving a conglomerate of, of opinions. Uh, I heard a couple of friends make posts about uh, child support, so I'm gonna give a, I'm a couple of conglomerate opinions. <laughs> uh, I just, it's just interesting uh, that there's no concrete, uh, I guess, formula. Uh, for for national, uh, as far as child support, you know, different states have different rules, and then 
you know, some states, if you're a custodial parent, uh, there's there's no verifying whether each person is bringing in all of their income. Uh, you know, I, I I'm aware of a child support uh, hearing where uh, you know everybody's requested to bring in all your income statements, and uh, custodial parent usually has to bring in you know what the expenses are uh, in regards to the child, and you know you got somebody who is working. Uh, let's just say they're working as a server at a restaurant. But we know they they're gonna make uh about two three dollars an hour, but there's no real accounting for their tips. So while the they may make tips. only the credit card tip, and having worked in a restaurant before, I know that most of them will report only their credit card tips, and because they know that people know they get some cash tips, they will report a small amount of cash tip, but it's nothing compared to what they make. So on paper, it may look like they made $200 a week, but in essence, they made 600 500 And that's a problem because when, it, when you go to court and they go using the formula, it's going to make somebody else look, their financial picture look a little different. Right. The other thing that I have issue with is I've been in the courtroom when the judge has said well I'll give you a perfect example. In, in the case of myself when I'm married with two other children they don't factor in to my child support that I pay for the child that whose mother I'm not married to, right? That's the problem. Yeah, that's that's kind of how it is here <laughs> here in Florida as well, you know. Really? Yeah, I, I kind of I went through uh, one of the scenarios you, you mentioned. Um, you know, the the mother of of my youngest son was a, a well, she is a hairdresser, so she was basically tipped, mm-hmm. you know. And this was back in 2006 when all this went down. Um, and I was, I was making $11 an hour repairing printers, you know, and I, you know, I hired an attorney so I wouldn't get screwed, but I must've hired the worst attorney in the state of Florida <laughs> because I was, uh, I had to pay $600 a month for this child when I was making $11 an hour plus a high child support for, Damn! for my oldest son. And, you know, I, I had to fill out a worksheet showing what my income was, what all I had to pay, you know, if I had a car payment, cell phone bill, car insurance, groceries, clothes, everything, entertainment, anything you can think of. It was that itemized. And the mother had to do the same, but she didn't have a way to prove her income because she was basically working off tips. And she was an independent and she was an independent contractor because she basically rented a chair from a barber and cut hair. You know. Well, in Alabama, they didn't ask me how much I paid for nothing. Them cats said, bring the check store and we'll calculate from there. They ain't asked me how much I paid for a cell phone bill, rent, a car. They ain't asked me that they didn't give a damn. Oh, they well, said, coming oh, the state of Alabama, too. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, <laughs> and <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's how that went. So uh <laughs> my advice to all you guys don't go to with none of them entrepreneurs, don't don't have uh get the second me. Just do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You free free ball. Take that, take that approach. Don't take no chances. Uh, <laughs> don't leave no socks or wash rags laying around. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They come up with all type of stuff. All right, so we kind of dovetail from from the child support to. Isn't it interesting that Gail King and Oprah Winfrey are best friends, longtime friends, and within a month or two of each other? They both have groundbreaking documentaries or interviews uh, with two pop icons or R&B icons, however you look at it, uh, Michael Jackson and R. Kelly, and they're both in the in the public eyesight. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, I watched the, I tried to watch the Michael Jackson documentary. For those who don't know, the documentary came out this week, Leaving Neverland, uh, which it kind of goes into uh, uh, Michael Jackson's relationship with uh, some some young men as they grew up. Uh, and let, let me correct you, folks. Let me let me correct yeah, you on that. Some young boys. young boys. Young boys. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> some young boys as they grew up, uh, and his relationship evolving from uh, an icon to them or or a celebrity to them to an actual relationship where they. Came to spend time at his his ranch, uh, his Neverland Ranch, uh, which you know I thought that was the best part of the documentary. Me having an opportunity to see Neverland. Yeah, I never seen uh, it before. Yeah, shit, it's Disney World. Looked like uh, I don't, I, I could have told Mike he was gonna go broke uh, funding that. Here, yeah, that's just like you go home to Disney World every day. Oh, I'm gonna go ahead and play in goddamn Animal Kingdom. Uh, that it was just interesting to me how you have all this. I mean, he had a a sad house from the main house and yeah. a movie theater and this movie theater wasn't like some of our friend's movie theater where they just got 12 or 15 chairs. He actually got a theater in the house. Right. I thought that was really interesting. Coach, uh, do, you mind, but, do you mind if I jump on something real quick before we yeah, get into the Michael Jackson thing? Um, here's the thing that, that, that people tend to forget. You know, celebrities are still people. They are still fallible. They still make mistakes. And just because you're buying their record or because they bought TV time or have TV time doesn't mean that that they're any better and, for that matter, any worse than the rest of us. They just, you know, had extraordinary talents or right place, right time type of thing. But they're still people. So when people act surprised that celebrities are doing this, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins and the, the Michael Jacksons and the R. Kellys, it's, they're still people. This is what I try to get people to understand all the time. You do not know these celebrities because you know their celebrity persona. And people become surprised by the antics of celebrities as if they know them. And I try to tell people all the time, it's just a microcosm of society. Uh, And this is like you said, I mean, you got people from all walks of life and all this stuff is coming out now. You got people from all walks of life, and people just. But by the same token, the reverse part of that is, because I like your artistry, 
and the music that you produce does not mean I support the person who you are because I don't know you. I don't right. know who you are to support you. But I do have an appreciation for the artistry of your music or the artistry of a movie that, that, that you produce or a movie that you're in. And some people say that you can't separate the two. Some people say if you like if you like their music, then you support what they do and who you are because the inspiration for their music uh, was little girls or the inspiration for their music was little boys. And I'm you know, I'm just out of mindset that if we're gonna do that with everything, then I can't like nothing because I don't know none of these people personally. So I can't like no movies, I can't like no music. Right. Exactly. And I mean that's just <laughs> It, it it gets I guess it gets a little fuzzy, but yeah, you, will, you can get to a rabbit hole real quick with that, right? I will say the Michael Jackson uh, documentary was one of the most boring damn documentaries I've ever uh, seen. Uh, I'm a guy who's really interested in stuff like that, and I swear to God, uh, I, I went to sleep, woke up, watched some more, and went to sleep, and I wasn't tired. It was just boring to you. Uh, I mean, they didn't do anything to draw you in. I know it's people telling their story, but when you got people within the documentary who dispute what other people say, and it's supposed to be like, I guess the boys who are now uh, grown men, uh, you know, they're in the documentary giving a testimony about what happened. And the parents are saying, no, nah, they lying. That shit ain't happen. And it's, you know, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't really know. What few this documentary come out? I guess I guess the guys just wanted to tell their story as adults. Uh, but you know, Michael Jackson is you know has been deceased for uh, what at least like seven eight years. So you know, I'm just is interested in kind of you know what kind of inspire inspire something like that. But the shit was boring. I thought the best part about it was the Neverland, and I don't want people out there to get get uh, get it twisted that. I'm insensitive about uh, the topic. Uh, that's not it at all. Um, but the the, the, the the presentation itself, yeah, the presentation in which it was brought to me, uh, it left a lot to be desired. Now, I I gotta say, I'm on the uh, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum with you on this one. Um, yep. You know, I like the fact that they didn't put a lot of glitz and glamour behind it and and try to make the these two these two guys uh they didn't try to make it seem like they were in it for money they didn't try to make it seem like michael jackson was innocent uh or guilty they just kind of presented the facts as these two guys spoke about it um but you know what what really got to me was the detail that both of these guys gave us and they were they were so parallel to their own experiences at different times when they were alone, uh, allegedly with Michael Jackson. Just yeah, and I'm gonna say, you know, Mike. Uh, yeah, even if I gave him all the benefit of the doubt, he did a lot of stupid shit anyway. You ain't had no kids uh, in your room in the bed with you and all that. But you know, I know the one, the one guy. Uh, I don't know his name, but um, when he started giving the detail about uh, Michael Jackson, you know, said that he, he called him. Uh, once he got home, and uh, I guess after they tried to have a physical encounter, uh, he was saying that there was some blood. There may be some blood on your underwear, so you need to find your underwear and throw it out, and you know all that type of stuff. I don't think 
Well, I mean, I guess you can make up anything, but like you said, they, they went into a lot of detail and had parallel experiences. So, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting. But public persona, let's, let's, let's talk about the reaction to it publicly. A lot of people who say Elvis Presley like younger women. He, uh, Priscilla Presley was was underage when 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 they started talking. I believe she was fourteen. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, who was that? Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis or yeah, his, uh, uh, his? Was it his first cousin or his third cousin? And she was underage. Like that. So you know, a lot of people are saying, "Okay, why why are we now getting into our killers and the Michael Jackson? We've ignored uh, these other individuals for this long." And, I don't really have an answer to it, uh, but I think that uh, sometimes when when <laughs> shit like that happens, uh, we argue from the wrong side. Uh, I understand the argument of okay, now since y'all brought this out, let's let's have another documentary on them so we can we can uh, expose the things that they did. But uh, one can't cancel out the other. Uh, you know, all of them. All of them are wrong, uh, but you know I think it's I think from the urban community you got people who uh, they're saying well, you guys are trying to tear down our heroes uh, when there are people who came before them who were accused of the same thing, uh, who probably have even more evidence and, and, and were even more out in front with it, uh, and there's nothing that was said about it, so. You know, I know, I know, it's a lot of chatter going back and forth in that regard, and it, it just it just gets real interesting. So let me, let me let me ask you this, Coach. If if I'm understanding what you're saying right, subliminally, uh, you're mm-hmm. saying that the difference in the Jerry Lee Lewis's, the Elvis's, the Michael Jackson's, and the R. Kelly's uh, is coming down to race. Yeah, it seems like it's a uh, like it's a divide as far as. We're only we're only going into depth with those black artists who who've come out uh, or who've been accused of these things and and, and doing documentary on those when nobody's doing a documentary on uh, the R. Kelly's the the uh, I mean I'm sorry the Jerry Lee Lewis the uh, Elvis Presley's and uh, even uh, like you mentioned Harvey Weinstein I I I know some of that it may be. <laughs> Maybe the shoe has left to drop uh, on the Harvey Weinstein situation, so uh, maybe some some weight on that. But uh, I don't know of any documentary addressing those two individuals. But I know, you know, I've seen a lot of memes that uh, address those those situations in that regard. You know, I don't I don't want to look at it and think that it has anything to do with uh, you know it's racially motivated. Um, but that's just how I look at things. You know, I I, I try to look at at life with rose-colored glasses, but, you know, there's always going to be that element. Uh, but, you know, I think that the, the main point or the, the, the main reason that the Michael Jacksons and the R. Kellys are, are being looked at right now is because they're, they were s- such huge figures, I'm not saying that Elvis and Jerry Lee weren't for their time, but, it, you know, Americans have a short memory. But- we, you know, Michael Jackson, R. Kelly is the most recent to us. You know, uh, the the grown ups now, you know, 30s and 40s grew up with Michael Jackson and R. Kelly. You know, our parents grew up with Elvis and, and, and Jerry Lee Lewis. So we don't remember that. So 
you know, not saying that they get a pass or an excuse, but it's recent memory. You know, uh, uh, Americans have such a short memory that there'll be, uh, you know, one school shooting over here and everyone is so sad for about a week until something else happens. And then they forget about that. Now they're on this topic. Yeah, but we can even go back to the age of the hair groups. Uh, when you got Guns and Rose and Metallica's, you know, all these hard rock groups, we know some of the songs that they were talking about, uh, and they even mentioned, uh, mentioned uh, there was uh, one, one meaning to mention some of the lyrics of, of some of those songs uh, where they addressed actually young ladies who, who, who came uh, to their shows and, and, and they had sex with them in, in, in the, uh, you know, the back of the, back of the concert venues and things of that nature backstage, uh, all those type of annex and, Nobody really addresses it. So, you know, the, the perception is, and to be clear, uh, just putting it all out there, the lady who did the R. Kelly documentary uh, was an African-American uh, female. So uh, that was not a, a, a Caucasian uh, director. It was an uh, African-American female. I'm not sure who who's responsible for, uh, other than HBO, who's responsible for producing uh, the Michael Jackson uh, documentary, but you know that. Yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, Coach, but that mm-hmm. that R. Kelly uh, documentary. You know, one thing that stands out the most to me uh, that that I remember more than anything else about that documentary is um, when that lady said everyone knew that this was going on, but they didn't care because we were just little black girls. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I, I took a little bit of offense to that, mm-hmm. um, just because it's like, not not everyone thinks like that, you know. It, 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 it but I'm going to say this: I understand your perspective from your perspective, but what you have to understand is, and this is what I tell everybody: everybody is speaking from their perspective. So in the world that they come from, all they know is how they've been treated or how they've been perceived by people, whether they be white, black, or whoever. And so from their perspective, they've seen people care more about if it was a, a, a young Caucasian lady or even if it was a, a, a young uh, lady from another race. Because to, to be honest with you, most African-American uh, people, uh, whether they be males or females, believe that in public perception, they are they are looked at as the lowest class from everybody else. Uh, the <laughs> when, when back in the I guess uh, a couple years ago when uh, the movement Black Lives Matter started, uh, I heard somebody give a a very good analogy for. <laughs> why that was a necessary movement as opposed to uh, all lives matter. So we know the Black Lives Matter movement started and after that, people started saying, well, all lives matter, as if black people were saying, you know, we're the only lives that matter. And that's not what was what was being said. And the analogy that was given was, if everybody's at the table and they're eating, you got, let's just say, it's four of us at, or five of us at the table that's eating. 
Uh, and you got John, you got Shannon, you got Teresa, you got Jane, and you got JJ. So the other four people have a plate with food on it. And I don't. I don't have a plate. I don't have any food. And I say, I deserve to eat. And everybody else at the table said, everybody deserves to eat. And I never said, y'all didn't deserve to eat, but y'all finna eat. You got a plate. You got food. I don't. I need a plate. I need food. But none of you at the table are considering me as an individual needing to eat. You're saying we all deserve to eat. So the way that breaks down is it's very easy for each one of you to say, well, you can have a little bit of mine. 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 But people choose to say, well, you ain't getting none of my shit. You just won't eat. And so that's happened for so long that now I can't say everybody I eat. I got to say I got to eat because I'm not being recognized as having not eaten. Yeah, you got to say I'm And not even having to eat. So that's, I mean, that's the kind of analogy that, that we get. That's why, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, that everybody doesn't think that way, but you have to take it from the perspective that people in. You know, I, everybody to be clear, my audience to be clear. John is Caucasian. I am African-American. And we have had conversations via messenger on racial issues, racial topics. If he has a question about something that is a sensitive, he deems to be a sensitive issue with African-Americans, he'll ask me and I'll do the same. We haven't always agreed, but we've usually come to an understanding of where each other are coming from. And John, what I'm saying is most people don't do that. Most people don't do what me and you do and have that relationship. Most people take the perspective that they have and they gauge the rest of the world on that perspective instead of trying to get to understand everybody else's perspective. And, and that because, goes back to what I was saying earlier, that everyone wants to be right. No one wants to admit that they're wrong. No one wants to admit that the way they've been living and their beliefs and their morals are wrong. You know, I, I grew up in Alabama. I was born and raised, lived there for 20 years. No doubt. Moved to, moved to, uh, moved to Florida after the military. And, uh, you know, nothing against, you know, anything in Alabama or definitely nothing against my parents and my family. But I have a different mindset being in Florida than I did being in Alabama. I'm not saying that, you know... I, I believe in, uh, I, I believe in segregation. I didn't believe, you know, any of that. I mean, I went to Floyd Junior High School in seventh grade. <laughs> you know, right, right. I mean, it, they told my mom that that Floyd was was uh, fifty and was fifty percent, fifty percent. But what they didn't tell her was fifty percent black and fifty percent Hispanic. You know? <laughs> there were, I mean, uh, just a sprinkle. Uh, of white kids that went there. But again, you know, uh, but, you know, I have a son. Uh, my oldest son is obviously half white. 
but he's also half Hispanic. His mother is from uh, from from the Republic of Panama. Right. You know, and you and I have had discussions, uh, you know, through messenger, through text message about the way that I raised him. And when he brings up subject matters that I don't have an answer to, I reach out to you. And we don't do it on Facebook because, to be quite honest, people can't handle it. Exactly. There's been times where I posed a question and I've had a Facebook friend uh, that I grew up with come back and say, these are just a bunch of stupid N-words. And I, right. I, I don't know if you remember that post, but your response was, John, you and I are cool, but this guy's ignorant. I'm out. Because that, right. that ended the whole discussion. And from that moment on, I stopped posting that kind of stuff on Facebook and just started reaching out to you uh, personally to get a, a, a different perspective because, um, you know, I'm pretty familiar with your background, where you grew up, how you grew up. And you, you kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know uh, both sides of the tracks, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up uh, – um, uh... I'm gonna say upper middle class, but uh, within that, there were not a lot of African Americans. Uh, now there are, but in the neighborhood I grew up in, there were not a lot of African Americans at that time. Um, but I, had, I was able to have relationships with. Uh, for full disclosure, the schools that me and John went to back in uh, when we were in school, they had what we call majority minority. So if you were zoned for a majority uh, black school, then you could go to a majority white school. They would pay for your transportation and all that. If you was on for a majority white school, uh, then you could go to a majority black school. This is an M&M. Uh, so within that, um, we we had a lot of people that went to our schools who were from across the city, uh, from majority uh, African-American neighborhoods across the city, and I had the opportunity to 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 make friends from uh from those neighborhoods, a lot of the housing projects and got a chance to see, you know, how they lived and, you know, understand that of course they were just people like us. But um I also my father was a coach at Alabama State University and so I spent a lot of time on that campus, uh, which was uh right next to neighboring uh housing projects, Patterson Court, and made a lot of friends over there, uh because they used to come play on what we call the Band-Aid, which is an uh, auxiliary court behind the gymnasium. And, you know, my father never told me, taught me to discriminate anybody. People are just people. So, you know, I would go out there and talk to them or whatever. But I would tell you an interesting uh, situation that occurred. So the neighborhood, when, when we first started the podcast, you know, we talked about uh, me uh, being neighbors to John's brothers. And so um, that neighborhood is a cul-de-sac. Those of you who don't know, a cul-de-sac is a, a one-street uh, neighborhood that ends in, in a roundabout. Uh, there's one way in, one way out. Like training uh, day. Right, right, like training <laughs> day. <laughs> I was just watching that yesterday. <laughs> so so in, within that cul-de-sac, uh, I think at first development, there may be only, only have been maybe 10 or 12 houses, uh, if, if that many. Uh and so we moved over the course of, or we started building, uh, like the spring, uh, I want to say the spring of my ninth grade year going into my 10th grade year. 
so we didn't actually move until that summer of my 10th grade year. Uh, but those people who were in the neighborhood, you know, we, we would go by there and check on the house. So, you know, of course, when the foundation was made, you know, take pictures, you know. Uh, and the people who were already there, they knew, of course, who was moving in. Uh, now, not only uh, did, did John's brother stay there, but there were uh, some friends that we had uh, down the street. Um, I don't want to say her name, but uh, she stayed down the street, and so down the street, and so she had some friends. Uh, so, probably around May of my ninth grade year, it was going around uh, within the community of people who stayed out there that we were moving in and I will never forget. And me and this young lady are cool. We were cool in junior high, cool in high school. Uh, and, you know, we're Facebook friends to this day. She's a Caucasian girl. She's a white girl. And we were in class. And while we were in class, she, she says, so JJ, you you guys are moving to Eastwood Glen? I was like, yeah, how you know that? Of course, kind of ignorant to the fact that, you know, we've been out there and I didn't know she had been out there, but apparently she uh, was at the friend's house one day when we came over there looking at the house. Uh, so she goes on to say, I'm talking she wasn't ashamed to say she didn't see anything wrong with it. She goes on to say, I mean... <laughs> What do your parents do that they can afford to move you guys out there? Those are like rich white people's houses. And <laughs> I just kind of looked at first. I was like, you know, I just, sometimes you just like, did I hear her right? Like, do she even know what she just said? And, you know, it was she said it around some other people. And so they kind of looked like, what the fuck you just say? And she was unaware that anything that she said was inappropriate. She was kind of like, "What? I mean, for real? Like, well, it's the it's the, the environment that you grow up in, right? It, you know, and I, I know we're going to get into it in a little bit. Um, you know, the whole uh, Hoover thing, but um, I think I know who you're talking about. You know, we're not here to put anybody's name on blast or anything, but. But to look at it from uh, an outside perspective, because, you know, you never told me that story. I, I never heard it before. But, you know, from what I remember uh, of living uh, in Montgomery, you know, there there was uh, a white side of the tracks and a black side yep. of the tracks. Yep. And, and for, a, for, for a, a, a black family to move in to – a quote unquote white neighborhood was different. Yeah. And it, it and it's it you know, I hate people that stereotype Alabama and, you know, the people there. Um but it, it wasn't because you guys weren't good enough. It's just that we grew up with that split knowing where, you know, everyone lived. So yeah, I it, think it's kind of it was boulevard different. Kind of split everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was different for something like that to happen. Just like if the, uh, I'm sure if a white family were to move into a predominantly black neighborhood, it would be looked at like, 
oh, they must be down their luck or something must have happened. Right. You know, that's how it, 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 it's, it's just the, the, like you said a while ago, it's your perspective and, and, and your environment. And I will say that, I will say that when she said it, I was taken aback, but I answered. You know, I I, I told her, uh, I, I mean, I didn't tell her uh, as far as how, how we was able to stay out there or whatever, but, you know, I told her, uh, you know, we're, 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 my parents, you know, are professional people who are able to, to, to afford to uh, move us just by anywhere. Uh, and well, you're a better man than I because I would have fed right into it and been like, oh, he's slang rock. Now you know at that point in time, I had I had been through some situations, um, and I because I stayed in uh, a predominantly white neighborhood growing up, uh, which Carriage Hills. Uh, if you look at it now, you'd think <laughs> you know it's all black. But uh, when I was growing up, Carriage Hills was kind of predominantly white, uh, and I had a real good friend stayed across the street from me, and again. Uh, I think he's still my Facebook friend. Everybody knows him and everybody knows his father. Uh, and from, I was born in Montgomery. From the time I was younger uh, until probably we got to high school, we were friends. And I mean, you know, from from playing neighborhood football to basketball to, you know, sports at Bell Road, YMCA, at, uh, Dixie U Baseball, all the type of stuff. We did all that, you know, and I would never forget going to his house one day and keep in mind I had I had been to his house swimming in his pool been in his house playing video games when his mom was there uh had even eaten dinner over there which they call it supper but even dinner over there um and one day it was a I want to say it was a Saturday when there weren't really any, anybody else in the neighborhood you know how you had those those Saturdays where somebody's going to Auburn game or somebody's going to Alabama game and you know, the whole neighborhood is kind of empty except for a couple of y'all. And so we were there, and I went over to his house. And he was like, I can't come out. And I was like, okay. Um, so probably, you know, when that happens, you kind of just sit in your yard or, or you walk the streets, try to find anybody else that might be out. Uh, and then... About 30 minutes went by. I, was, I think I was sitting on my dad's, uh, on the back of my dad's uh, car in the driveway. And the other next door neighbor came home and he went over there and he didn't come out. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, so coming down the street, uh, <laughs> Kevin's coming. I'm like, what's going on, Kevin? Or whatever. He's like, hey, what's going on? Uh, where is everybody? I was like, Terry can't come out. Oh, oh shit, I ain't even say his name, but I was like, he can't come out. Uh, such and such just went over there. Uh, but he was like, oh, well, let me see what's going on. So he went over there and he didn't come out. And it happened two more times and they ended up coming outside. So when they came outside, all you of, know, they had came outside. Yeah, all of them came outside. So when they came outside, they had the football. So I'm like, okay, everything must be good now. So I go over there, and they kind of look 
kind of crazy. And I just noticed his dad, he wasn't really in the door. They had like a, a glass, the, you know, the glass storm door. Yeah, like every, the, like every person Alabama has. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the other door was kind of pulled up where he, somebody could see through the crack or whatever. So, you know, you could see somebody looking. So I'm, I'm, I ain't paying no attention to it, though. Shit, I just thought he was checking on him. So his dad was there, and, you know, they stopped playing, and everybody was looking around, and he just came point blank out and said, he was like, look, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't come over here right now because my dad's prejudice. Oh, Lordy. And I was like, what? Now, keep in mind, I mean, this is like three, four years in with us playing back and forth every day. It never dawned on me that his dad was hardly ever there. How old were you? At this time when he said this, I was probably however old you are when you're in like the fifth or sixth grade. 10, 11. Yeah, 10, 11. Yeah, something like that. So I'm like, Damn, it, it kind of hit me, kind of stunned me. I'm like, damn, I know what prejudice means. And so I'm like, oh, for real? And then everybody else started chiming in like, yeah, his dad does not like black people. Like, I didn't know what prejudice means. His dad does not like black people. And it was surprising because when his dad had come home a couple of times when we were outside playing, he never, he never was rude. He always spoke. It wasn't like he just walked by and looked and kept going. He always spoke spoke to me by by my name, you know. But it, I to this day I don't know why that day made a difference. I don't know if something happened, but I was able to go over there and play after that. Which now knowing my mind, I never told my mom and dad that it wasn't because I was hiding from. It's just. I get, it really just didn't kick in. I wouldn't. It didn't hurt me like that. I don't guess, you know, because again, I had so many experiences. You know, after you had so many experiences with something, certain shit don't shock you no more. Uh, but you know, it it was it was it was interesting to me uh, because this same gentleman, uh, when I got to high school and and in junior high, he was the rim capital. Uh, he was selling more rims than anybody in the city, and most of his customers was African American boys. Let me uh, and specific. Let me speak specifically. Boys. Let me speak on this if you don't mind, though. Huh? I said, let me speak on this if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, first of all, uh, the most recent thing you just said was, you know, that he sold more rims than anybody. Uh, the 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 most recognized color is green exactly um, so he didn't care you know who he was selling to but you know anyway i don't want to get into that uh, going, right. going back to what you were saying what you know as far as i don't know if something happened on this day that that caused this um and that you know he never presented it before you know, uh, hate and ignorance is not always in your face. It's not always blatant and where everyone can see it. Um, 
it wasn't something that happened that day. This was this guy's own ignorance. And this is something that, you know, that he quote unquote allowed to happen with his kid because his kid was, was happy and enjoyed it. But as time grew old, you know, as you guys grew older, yep. you know, this guy got to a point where he felt like he couldn't take it anymore because he hated something so much. And afterwards, after this happened, you said everything kind of went back to, to normal. Well, he probably realized how much of a jackass he was and how ignorant he was and was like, you know, he, I guarantee he still went inside and, and, and you know, and, and closet hate and closet ignorance about, right, right. you know, it's not like he just, you don't just wake up one day and, and you just hate somebody, hate a whole race of people. Right, right, right. And then the next day you're cool again. That, that's just not how it happens. That's not how it works. I think maybe his, uh, maybe his wife had something to do with, um, maybe, uh, <laughs> me still being able to come over there or, or saying something to him because she just seen now she wasn't out there that day. Uh, she was in the house. I'm sure, you know, she was well aware of what went on and she just seemed extra nice after that. I mean, like extra nice. Yeah. To the point of almost like every day. She probably put too much starch in his, uh, his, his white sheets that day. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, but isn't it amazing how how often parents ruin can ruin a, a, just a friendship with one split second like that? Because even though you know you might have gone back over there to play again, you never looked at them the same way again. Never, ever. But the worst, the worst part of that is, I never looked at them the same way, and I never looked at. Uh, I never. It, it, well, I'm not gonna say I never looked at anybody the same way, but it helped. It helped now uh, to formulate in me uh, a situation where I don't really trust people. It opened your, uh, it opened your eyes, so to speak. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and I kind of went through, and still go through the rest of my life uh, after that, like feeling like people tolerate me, like they don't really like me. They tolerate me for. Uh, the moment for as far as what they need or what 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 they can get out of me, and so you know I'm always waiting on people to show me the other side, uh, which isn't fair to the other people. But that's why I don't really <laughs> I don't really mess with a lot of people. But that's a whole other story, right? When, uh, when someone tells you something, you're like, you're, you're sitting like you're thinking, okay, this sounds good, but where's the butt? Yep, yep, where's the butt? Exactly, exactly. Which brings us to. Well, before before we get into the hard stuff, want to give a rest in peace to King Kong Bundy. Oh, Lord. King Kong Bundy passed this week. Uh, I forgot what age he was, uh, but uh, I think he was sixty three. Sixty three. Okay, sixty three. Uh, long time uh, wrestling fans know exactly who King Kong Bundy is. Uh, watch WrestleMania two. I was a bald head, uh, very big guy, Hulk Hogan fought uh, in WrestleMania 2 in the blue steel cage. Love to fight. And, uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, he's 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 etched in all our all of our thoughts and so thoughts and prayers to his family and uh definitely appreciate the contribution he made to, to my childhood. I um I actually had a King Kong Bundy uh wrestling uh figure. I was about to say dog, but I don't play with dogs. So I had a uh, King Kong Bunny wrestling figure when I was oh, growing yeah. up. Oh yeah. And then we had uh a man who passed uh who was probably the the first original uh sad guy, not sad chick, but sad guy, uh Luke Perry, uh of nine oh two one oh fame. Uh um well he's done some, <laughs> he's done some more stuff since then, but uh all the people my age, all the ladies my age know him from nine oh two one oh fame, Dylan McKay, and uh he passed this week, um fifty three. Fifty three. It's getting crazy. Uh, people are, are dying closer and closer to our age. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just weird. Uh, when you start, I, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, when it, it seems funny or, or it makes you feel funny when you start seeing people that uh, you know uh, dying more frequently. Frequently, Not, not necessarily that we know him, but uh, know of his work and um, people who entertained you and had a, had a part in your childhood. I I, I remember um, when I went to uh, what was it? We went to Disney World uh, with uh, Brubaker. I was in the band, symphonic band. We went to Disney World, and um, while we were out there, we played at Disney World and we played at Universal Studios. But while we were at Universal Studios, uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, they actually uh, had the nine hundred two one nine hundred two one zero cast come out. Um, to, to the little square area where there was a uh, there was a little males uh, males diner type uh, restaurant that was set up in kind of the middle of Universal Studios where it was kind of like a, a old fifties or sixties diner, uh, but they had them come out in a uh, long uh, drop top pink Cadillac and it was Ian Zeering and uh, Brian Austin Green and uh, I want to say Shannon Doherty uh, was there too, but Luke Perry was there too, uh, so. Uh, it's very interesting to, to see the reaction of uh, some of those young ladies at that time, and it's very interesting the reaction of some of the, the people on social media of my age and uh, of all races, races and ethnicities too. They all seem to love Dylan McKay and having attraction. Uh, you know, here's here's the thing about that. You know, it's when you grow up watching something, it, it becomes a part of you, and it feels like you know them. Definitely. Um, and so that that's why I, it, it's so shocking to people. And, um, you know, that also goes into the thing with, uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier with R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. We grew up with these people. Right. We, we watched them rise to stardom. And so they become a part of us. And so, it, you know, we, we want to turn a blind eye to it and, and, not, and not want to see it for what it is. But yeah, rest in peace to uh, to Luke Perry and King Kong Bundy. Um, King Kong Bundy, you know, most memorable matches wrestling against uh, a tag team of midgets. Uh, <laughs> it was with, uh, he went. Uh, he Billy Jim was on the other side too, right? Oh yeah, he Billy Jim. I'm, you know, I met he Billy Jim at Walmart here in Orlando about eight years ago. He was out front. Yeah, he was out front uh, promoting something, but he was dressed like a biker. 
you know, hair slicked back, oh, pulled into a ponytail, wearing all black sunglasses. At to- night. Totally destroyed the childhood memories. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but also we lost uh, several several members in in the southeast. Several uh, people in the southeast uh, this week to the recent hurricane. I mean, I'm sorry, the tornado. Yeah, man. Uh, especially down in Lee County, uh, Alabama. I uh, know a lot of people who were who were affected by that, so definitely prayers to to those people for rebuilding, and hopefully God can restore uh, some strength in in their lives as they twenty three deal. Twenty three, twenty three. Wow. So so definitely prayers to those to those individuals out there. Um, you know, I've told I've told this uh, I've told this to a lot of people. You know, I, I've been living here in in Orlando, Florida, since two thousand. Uh, yep. 19 years and I was here for Hurricane Charlie I've been here for all the hurricanes since 2000 you know and that I, I don't sweat them because right. we know they're coming we know where they're going to hit and we know how to prepare but a tornado I do I, I don't mess with tornadoes you know you, they're so erratic they're, there's there's no rhyme or reason there's no pattern they just they're, they're like they're like just a wild child. They just do whatever they want, and they go wherever they want, and they have. Yep. They don't care what color, what religion. Uh, if you're rich or poor, they don't care. They just just fall out of the sky on top of your house, and and they, they destroy everything. Next door neighbor's house. Right. You know, uh, first grade. Uh, I went to Danley Elementary, and we had uh, a tornado come over the top of Danley, uh, right across from Jeff Davis, in first grade. But that was back when. You know, we were a little tougher to to fight a tornado. We just uh, put our hands over our head in the hallway with our, you know, that, your head in the butt of the person in front of you. <laughs> Which means I was never in tornado position because every time we went out there, I said, I cannot bend like that. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm going to get fucked up because... <laughs> I can't, I can't put my hand, my head between my knees and do all the tucking. So this is I'm just gonna get ready to fly because I'm up out of here. Yeah, but uh, not trying to make light of a, a, a tragedy. Um, you know, I know a lot of people uh, in the state of Alabama uh, have come together and uh, you know rallied and they're they're building. Uh, they're trying to rebuild and do what they can and. Uh, you know, through the power of power of God, uh, they're going to get through it. No doubt, no doubt. Prayers to them. So that brings us to the latest social media video of the moment: our fair Hoover Spain Park area youth. So, for those who don't know, uh, Hoover, Alabama, is uh, a city in. Uh, well, Birmingham. I, say a of Birmingham. I was about to say a city in Birmingham. Uh, for the suburb of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, uh, that is actually a city. Um, and within that city, there are two uh, high schools. You got Spain Park High School and Hoover High School. Both uh, are predominantly white institutions um, with uh, very good athletic teams. Uh, and well-to-do and well families. Right, well-to-do families. Uh, they are controlled by uh, or they're uh, – yeah, they're controlled by their own school board. Uh, so you got the Hoover Hoover City School Board. And interestingly enough, uh, the superintendent of Hoover City Schools was my first principal 
uh, my first teaching job that I ever had. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Murphy, and uh, we had a very interesting uh, experience uh, my first year. Um, I'll speak on that on a later date, but uh, she's actually the superintendent of Hoover Schools now. So uh, this past week, uh, student, I don't know, I don't actually know who uploaded it, but there was a video taken by one of the students uh, at a party uh, with her students from both of uh, these schools there. It's a house think, party. Yeah, it's a house party. I think we saw maybe four or five people in the video, but there was clearly some, some other in the background uh, in which there was obviously some alcohol uh, partaking going on. Uh, but there were some students who made some derogatory comments, uh, some racially uh, racially inspired comments, or uh, talking about Jews and talking about African Americans uh, in a disparaging manner. Uh, one of the one of the young ladies said that uh, you know the Jews could stay, but uh, she said the niggers got to go. Uh, and then somebody else said something. I think the guy who was taking the video, uh, he had it on them, and then after they would say something, he would kind of take a, a picture of himself, and he was kind of like shocked. Reaction. Yeah, he was showing his own reaction, and he seemed to understand that <laughs> he couldn't believe they were saying it, but, you know, never did he say, hey, what the hell are you talking about, or, you know, that type of thing. But everyone there seemed comfortable uh, with it. Well, social media has, you know, basically – uh, blown up uh, with the videos. It's, it's, it's going across the country now. I've got friends in, in other cities and states uh, who who shared the video. Uh, and it's been some interesting dialogue about it. Uh, since the video is aired, I think on yesterday, uh, a gentleman came out who owns uh, Hoover Toyota, uh, which is a, a very big uh, dealership uh, within the city of Hoover, saying that his daughter was on the video. She and was the of course, they were saying it. Yeah, she was the main one, uh, and he doesn't support what she's saying and, you know, all those type of things. And, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, why he came out with a statement. And uh, then you've got people saying that the school should do something, and the school board released a statement saying that they're trying to investigate what that level of uh, culpability can be as far as what they can do. Uh, since the incident did not happen on school grounds, I will tell you that in our in at my particular school in my district, there is a clause within the code of conduct that says that uh, if a student posts something on social media uh, that is derogatory or threatening or something of that nature about another student, uh, they can be uh, held liable, uh, or the school can suspend them based on based on that action. So I'm not sure what uh, what exactly the legality of that is in Hoover, but it's caused a wildfire on social media. You got people talking about the kids, and uh, I'm going to say that a lot of people who, I'm going to say a lot of black people, a lot of black people that are on my timeline, they seem to have been really shocked by the video. And I'm just going to be honest. When I saw the video, I was not shocked at all. I believe that 
the prior incidents that I that I you know addressed early in the podcast today kind of shows you why I wasn't shot, you know, because I know, and I think we we generally agree that some of these things are based on how they have been raised and the things that have been said about them, and they said what they said in an area of comfort, in an area where I don't know if they knew they were being filmed or if they were aware that the gentleman would release it. So what they said, they said around people they were comfortable with. I don't believe they would say that in a public setting. But the thought that they said it is not what bothers me. It's the thought that they think it that bothers me. You mind if I speak on this, Coach? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Just to kind of preface this, uh, you and I have not spoken about – any of these topics beforehand. Right. Um, so, you know, none of this is uh, quote unquote scripted or anything. Um, and that is purposeful, people. That is purposeful. You know, I, I, I tell John what we're going to talk about as far as a subject heading, and I, that's it. I don't know my position. I don't know. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, you know, Hoover. And just kind of give a little bit of background. Hoover uh, High School, you know, they had a special on HBO, I think about within the last 10 years, because a lot of uh, a lot of football athletes come out of Hoover. They're known, right. they're known for their athletes. And a lot of them end up going to Auburn and Alabama, you know, um, within the state there. Um, but to, to, to get into this, you know, whether or not kids knew they were being taped or filmed or recorded, it it doesn't matter. You know, this this isn't stuff they just. It's not like they said, "Oh, someone's recording this. Let's let's shock everybody and, and say this." All right, all right. And the thing about it is this, uh, Coach. You know, this has been around for a long time. Social media has shined a light on it. It has put it in our face and made it uh, to where we can see the people. We can we can see their ignorance. Whereas before, you know, this has been going on forever, but we didn't see it because we didn't have a, a means to see it. But now we do. So I'm not shocked either. I'm with you uh, because, like I said, you know, well, like I said earlier, hate and ignorance is not always in your face. It's hidden behind, uh, you know, a glitter, a glitter curtain or, you know, whatever the, uh, a nice shiny, uh, perfectly wrapped gift box, you know, but, um, right. the, the thing with the, the father coming forward, the owner of the, the Toyota there in Hoover, um, again, he, the only color he's seeing is green. He knows right. that if he doesn't do some damage control, and and jump out there and, and make a statement, his business is going to be affected negatively because he owns that Toyota dealership. No doubt. And he realizes that his dumbass little daughter <laughs> just put, the, put his whole uh, uh, dealership in possible financial trouble. Um, and the, the father tweeted, that her views and beliefs don't coincide with his 
his families or the way that she was brought up. Which is that what he tweeted? Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, which I don't believe. So I guess she was raised in another household. Right. I don't because you know I don't believe that for one second. You know, kids don't get together and all of a sudden they just start hating people and start spewing ignorance. And yeah, because the one interesting aspect was um, they had a couple of people who were defending the parents, saying that, um, well, you know, I've got children and I know I've told them not to do certain things and I've taught them certain ways, and sometimes the child just makes a choice that they're going to be disobedient and, and, and do what they want to do. And I understood that person and what they were saying. But my issue was just like what you just said. Um, it's very hard to get all of the children of the world who are like that in the same room and get them to agree to uh, go against their morals in the same uh, in the same vein. So you just happen to have all these kids in the same room who just said, Oh, my parents don't think like this, but fuck it. This is how I think. And then just go on this whole uh, escapade. So, and all it, those kids in that party that I saw in the video were white. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's interesting, though. I mean, I don't. One of the things that um, came out, I was reading an article in, on AL.com yesterday, and uh, a couple of, of kids who graduated from. Uh, Hoover, I think one of them was a Middle Eastern kid, and uh, I'm not sure what the ethnicity of the other, other kid was, but he was saying that um, they wrote a letter to uh, the principal, uh, and they were asking uh, what was the principal's plan to uh, not deal with those children, but deal with that culture and that mindset at the school as far as character education, because they said that while they were at the school, similar actions had occurred uh, and there were similar things said within the hallways uh, that hasn't, haven't, were never addressed. And so they said the school, it seemed like the school was treated as an isolated incident when that wasn't the case. It was the culture of the school. And so when I read that, it was interesting to me because I then had a question as to how do you reteach or I guess incorporate that into into character education, and I'm from a teacher perspective. I'll, I'll say this: one of the hardest things for for us as teachers is trying to correct behavior that has been ingrained in kids from their home. Um, and we see this when you know we try to talk to a parent about the way a kid is acting or where the kid is performing in that class, and then when they come up to the school. Uh, for a conference or you talk to them on the phone, you know, you, you get a, a glimpse of how the kid, uh, where they get some of the behavior that, they, that, that they're displaying uh, in the way that their parents uh, speak to you and, uh, and, and how they handle you. And so uh, when, when those situations occur, it's, it's kind of like you're trying to correct the kid and show a kid the right way of doing something when the person that they look to as their protector, as their as their their role model, as their uh, the the person who has them when they when nobody else has is acting another way. It's almost like they're looking at you like you can't tell me this person is wrong when they've been with me for 15, 16 years of my life. So it's like, how do you break down that wall? And I, you know, I, as a coach, I've had to deal with it with with certain instances with players that you know you get in, you know. It's easy. It's a little bit easier for me to break down that wall because I have a carrot out there that they want 
which is the opportunity to play uh, and things of that nature. And, you know, I'm dealing with 15 as opposed to 150, so it's a little bit different. Um, but I always I, – I, that, that just specifically interested me because I was, you know, wondering what can a principal do to kind of change that character education when I <laughs> – I'm going to just be honest. I know some people and, and know some parents in those communities in, in Hoover and Spain Park community uh, who heard about the video probably looking like not why did they say that or how could they say that, but why would you record that? Or, you know, why, how could you let that get out? Missing the whole point. Yeah, they missed the whole point. So it's almost like you have to re reteach uh reteach the parents uh, the character education or whatever. But you know that 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 was just interesting to me. Well, let me let me say this, Coach. Um, and it's just a coincidence that you that you're a teacher. When I say this, you know, teachers don't get enough recognition, and they damn sure don't get enough pay because <laughs> they uh they're they're responsible not only for basically trying to raise your your child for eight hours a day but they're trying to teach them what they need to know in life they need to know uh you know the and this is this isn't even including the subjects the, right right, the right english and the math and the the stuff like that this is but you, you can't expect for a teacher to be able to do this in an eight hour period when the kids around uh ignorance for 16 hours a day yep, yep. you know it it it's damn near impossible for a teacher to be able to uh, to turn a kid from from something like this. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's almost it's almost impossible to do, just because of the fact that the teacher doesn't have enough time in the day, and it, you know, with classes having almost 30 students per teacher, the teacher doesn't have enough time for that one-on-one -on -one time that's needed. They're there basically just to say, okay, two plus two equals four. You need to know that. Right, you know, right. Um, it, it, the thing about kids is kids, uh, they, they copy and they mock, and that, that's what they grow up to become. That, that's, what they, that's what they do. You know, they, it's not like they're just learning this behavior by hanging out with their other friends. They're, they're learning this from their home life. You know, because that's kids. My kid, when he was growing up, my oldest, uh, he mimicked everything I did. But you know, my kid is, is special, like every parent says. My kid's special, <laughs> but um, he's not special like I'm special. But uh, you know, he has such a great heart, and he accepts people for who they are. Um, you know, but he he doesn't go to public school. He's always gone to a private school, which is Christian based. Right. Um, and he's in high school now and still going to a private school that's Christian based. And, I, uh, and I'm so glad that, that his mother convinced me for him to go to a private school um, because he needed it. Um, you know, he was learning delayed as a child. And if he would have gone to public school, he'd have got lost. Um, but I also worry about him because he's not going to be prepared for life like a public student, a public school student would be. Because well, it's interesting you say that uh, because uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of kids that come to our school right now um, as ninth graders who have been 
educated in a private private school their whole life. That's the main reason. You know, I, I talked to some of the parents, and they said that's the main reason why uh, they sent them so that they can uh, catch up a little bit socially. Uh, but it's it's funny because when they just say that, you know, I, I never, I never, you know, really have any preconceived notions about it. But those are the kids who have like an adaptation period when they come there. Either they're very withdrawn or they get caught up in public school because they've never been able there it seems like there's no restrictions uh, and they've never had so much access to stuff that they end up getting in a lot of trouble. Or like I said, they're very withdrawn and they don't they don't really everything they see is kinda like, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, so they kinda they kinda sit back in the background. But that's that's interesting to say that. Yeah, he's gonna he's definitely gonna have a uh, 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 an adaptation period, you know, when he when he finishes high school and you know wherever he decides to go to college, which I'm hoping he goes here locally to UCF. Um, he doesn't need to go away from home, and that's not a you know empty nest syndrome. That's because he hasn't been uh, he hasn't seen the, the the stuff that's out there. Because he's he, but send him to a good old HBCU like Alabama State. We'll take care of him. I'm sure you would get a free education. <laughs> do they? Do we still do that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I remember when I when I graduated high school, I was looking at Alabama State because I thought that they. Uh, yeah, all the all, all, all Caucasian students used to go there uh, free, uh, but I think they stopped a, a couple of years ago. It might it might it was based on. Um, Legislative action with John Knight, and I think the uh, legislative period ended, uh, but it might still go on. But yeah, yeah, I had a lot of uh, a lot of Caucasians in my master's classes uh, when I was over there. Uh, now let me get into some uh, some douchebaggery. Uh, I saw <laughs> randomly while I was on ESPN uh, the other day that the Santa Anita racetrack has ceased operations. And the reason that they ceased operation is because a horse died uh, this week, and it was the twenty-first yes. death of a horse within the last ten weeks. Yep. And it was said, I guess, that some of the, I guess, most of them had leg injuries, <laughs> and what some of the people were saying were that the track officials had uh, put some type of material on the track because there was a lot of rain, uh, which, you know, the rain, I guess, would erode the track and wash away the dirt or whatever. Uh, so they had put some type of material on the track, uh, some chemical to, to harden the track so that when the rain come, it wouldn't soften up the track so much that it eroded. Uh, well, what happened was the rain came and it did its job, but after the rains, the track remained so hard that when the horses were running on, it was destroying their legs and destroying uh, I guess they're, 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 I don't know if they had knees or whatever, but uh, so most people know that if a horse injures their leg, they're, they're seen as lame and uh, they, they generally kill the horse. Uh, uh, yeah, you, so it's, it's almost impossible to, to nurse uh, a horse back to health with a broken bone just because you can't tell the horse, hey, don't put any weight on that. Right, you know, right. So, right. you know, you're just going to end up losing money and, and time and, it's gonna. It's just you know delaying the inevitable, but you have to remember though, Coach. Uh, horses, uh, especially race horses, they have ankles like the size of the the neck of a coke bottle. 
like, you know. And so when they're they're shifting all that weight on slippery, uh, you know, it's basically concrete, um, you know, with the material they put down and, and with the, uh, the the way the track conditions have been, um, it they're they're breaking their ankles like James Harden, you know. It, 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 and unfortunately, the only solution is you have to kill this horse. Now, this is my question. Um, why the hell are we still doing horse racing in the first place? That's what I was getting to. That's exactly what I was getting to. Why in the hell are we still doing that? I mean, we've got, we've got, we've got the technology for Tupac to be a Coachella as a hologram. Why can't we do that with horses? Right, all right. Just get some fake horses, get them out of there. That, that, I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, that makes that makes as much sense to do as actual horse racing, hologram horse racing. Patent. I mean, I guess as long as sperm going for horse sperm going for a million dollars, then I guess we'll have horse racing because I think that's like what the Triple Crown winners if they uh, they sell some some of their sperm or whatever. I think that's what it but goes. But if you for. outlaw horse racing. That million dollar stud goes down to zero because people, uh, you know, seem to forget that the value of something depends on what someone's willing to pay for it. Exactly. Which, which is why I tell people all the time when, um, you know, we talk about Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper just signed this uh, multi, multi million dollar uh, deal with uh, uh, one of these baseball teams. I forgot who it was, but people always say, does he deserve? Does anybody play sports deserve that type of money? And you know, when the LeBron signed their big deals and KD signs their big uh, and uh, uh, deals with these different franchises, and I always tell people this simply: if somebody is willing to pay it, they deserve. It. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can if make someone deserve, think that you're worth a hundred million dollars, then you're worth a hundred. Right. That's it. And and it's like I tell them all the time: y'all are the one who validate them being able to pay for it. Yeah. Because the only NBA games I go to are the ones where I get a deal on the tickets or it's free. Uh, because, I mean, I went to an NBA game when I first got here. And we went to my, my favorite team, the Spurs. So we went to a Spurs game. Are they still around? Ha, <laughs> ha, ha. We, we're, we're still in play. <laughs> we're still in, play in the playoffs. I haven't watched the game since they had the Admiral. That oh now see there you go. We're still in play for the playoffs, and I went to a game and I got kind of a deal on the tickets. And when I saw the tickets, the sticker price on the ticket, each one of them was like two hundred and twenty-one dollars. Granted, we were in club seating, and we were in club parking, which means that we parked. In the same, we're in an adjacent lot uh, next to where the players actually park. Uh, so we got a chance to go see them go to their cars and stuff like that. Uh, or at least when they're W's and Mercedes. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I just sitting there like somebody really pays $221 for one seat for a game. It, it was just amazing to me. And even now, you go, you I mean, you go on the site to look up price of tickets. I mean, you, you can find some. Some four, four packs and stuff like that in the nosebleeds. But you know, if you want a good seat, you going and you want to take your kids, you gonna you gonna be out two hundred fifty dollars. And seat. then they'll tell you, right? Plus, <laughs> then they'll tell you, 
they'll give you a free popcorn. Your souvenirs, your concessions. Oh, yeah. You gotta get on it. Concessions you, you are so out of hand. It's ridiculous. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they don't have normal shit no more. I mean, you can't just go get a regular bundling hot dog. I mean, that, uh, that beer, uh, a single uh, twelve ounce beer is what, like ten or fifteen bucks. Yes, sir. I went to uh, I went to see uh, Jim Jeffries uh, do stand up here in Orlando a few a uh, few months back, and I I ordered just a vodka and Sprite, and it was twenty two dollars. Shit! It wasn't a double. It wasn't top shelf. I, all I said was <laughs> vodka and Sprite, and it was twenty two dollars. Twenty five. That's crazy. Tip. Well, now nah, that was the tip. Yeah, and I I, I nursed that entire drink. For two hours, ah. and I took the cup home. Oh, and just yesterday, since we since I just mentioned LeBron not making the playoffs, I was just give him a congratulations. He he did pass Michael Jordan as uh, career scoring. Uh, he passed Michael Jordan on the NBA all time scoring list. So uh, that gave more credence to those individuals who. Uh, say that he is the, the the greatest player of all time, and uh, that started that that whole conversation back up. Uh, but but congratulations to Bond. He's, he's, he he uh, some tremendous feat. Uh, yes, congratulations so. to LeBron. But exactly when when you play, when you, when you play more years than the people you're passing, <laughs> it's amazing. right, right, right. The other damaging news for today, earlier this week, or last, late last week, uh, Tyler Perry's new movie came out, uh, Madea Funeral, I forgot the name of it, but it had something to do with Madea Funeral, or Big Funeral, something like that. Family Funeral. Yeah, the Family Funeral, there you go. So, it is Tyler Perry's uh, uh, intention to retire the Madea character. Um, originally when, when this uh, title of the movie first came out, a lot of people were assuming that Madea would die uh, in the movie. I actually saw the movie uh, with my wife this past weekend. Spoiler alert. Um, no, nah, I'm not going to say it. He's, <laughs> he's already said that she doesn't die in the movie. I'm not going to tell you what else happened. Uh, but it's actually somebody else in the family funeral. Uh, but she doesn't die in the movie, and he's, uh, he was asked about it in an article um, I, I got a chance to read it on yesterday, and he was saying that uh, he would never, he would never kill her. He couldn't understand why people uh, thought that he would do that. He said he, could, he would never kill her because his mom, uh, one of his last before she passed, one of uh, his last uh, promises to her was that uh, he would keep that character alive, uh, and she she loved him doing Madea. Uh, so you know, he says that he would. He's not gonna say she's not gonna ever come back out uh, out of the woodwork, but she's she's retired right now. Well, he, uh, because uh, he, Tyler Perry did say that um, yeah. you know, the the Medea character was based off of his mother and his favorite aunt. Yep, yep. So, you know, I, I can understand him, you know, respecting uh, you know his mother's wishes like that. Um, but he also said, uh, you know, pertaining to Medea, it's time. It's time for me to kill this old bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, he, he said he's basically tired of doing it, uh, and he's ready to move on to some new stuff. So 
Shout out to Tyler Perry. Uh, still, still making moves, still creating opportunities for a lot of people out there. And um, what to, to have or to have not? Just I think he just had season finale, and uh, the, the the other show he has on the own network is is new season is coming up. Uh, so, uh, you know, Coach, I, I always had um, mixed feelings about the the Medea character. Um, I've never watched any of the movies. Uh, I'll, I'll be upfront and honest with you about that. Uh, but, oh my God. Though I did uh, tune in every week for uh, House of Pain. Um, you know, that, but that was mainly at first because of uh, 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 Miss Keisha uh, Pulliam, um, <laughs> who, shout out to, to her cousin that we both know. Uh, I'm still waiting for you to uh, introduce me to uh, Miss Pulliam. Sante. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I didn't want to say it, but yep. I didn't say her last name. She knows who she is. <laughs> she knows who she is. I've asked her uh, point blank before uh, to, to introduce me, but um, you know, I always had com- uh, you know conflicting feelings because I always felt like that you know she was a stereotype of what I think uh, blacks are trying to get have trying tried to get away from. You know, she mispronounced words. She, um, you know, used the wrong words and she came off a lot of times as ignorant and she had had that Southern uh, accent. So, you know, also the stereotypes, people from the South, um, much like Mr. Brown in uh, Meet the Browns. But I will say this, a lot of a lot of people in the African-American community and black community uh, have had the same feeling. There are a lot of people who would not watch anything with Madea, especially uh, a lot of older uh, uh, African-Americans. They, they, don't, they don't watch it. They don't support it for that very reason. Uh, but I will say this. This is, this is what I tell people all the time. When you have a situation like that, I ask them, is what you're seeing a stereotype or is it the truth? The reason that that character resonates with so many people, not only in the African-American community, but in all communities, because we know Madea. We know that person. So when she's saying different stuff about how she'll beat your ass and she'll shoot you and uh, she's mispronouncing words, no, that does not represent the entire African American community. It, it it feeds into a lot of stereotypes, but most stereotypes are born from what people perceive to be real, whether it's real or not. The flip side of that is in most of those movies, the other individuals within the movie kind of counteract how she acts. You see professional African Americans. You see, uh, and then they look at some of the stuff that she's saying as atrocious or or outlandish. And but the truth is, we we all know people uh, who act like that, <laughs> and there are people that you don't really want to go out in public with. Uh, there are people that will say anything at the drop of a dime. They don't care how you feel. There are people who mispronounce, you know, word like. But, you know, I get it because the same thing you just said is why, why a lot of uh, African-Americans uh, have 
uh, you know, refused to to watch Tyler Perry shows. Uh, they say that he uh, demasculates males uh, in the way that uh, he he shows them uh, in the movies, uh, in the way he depicts uh, them in the movies, and uh, they've even had problems with the way uh, a lot of the women are portrayed as as always over, having to overcome something or uh, having having these big uh, these big uh, liabilities or whatever. But, you know, the, the difference is Tyler Perry is an African-American director who uses mostly African-American or Hispanic uh, actors and actresses. So that's what you're seeing in his movies. And because he's been successful enough to create a lot of movies, then that's what you see. The difference is you've got all these other directors and, and movies that come out on a daily basis with either more diverse cast or a predominantly white cast, and they show those same things. You just don't notice it because it's always been like that. You get all ends of the spectrum with everything, whereas with this director, he has a style that he uses to try to teach lessons or try to and I, I mean all his movies seem to have have a lesson that he's trying to teach or, or, or something of that nature so uh, it's, it's it's interesting um, but you know the, the very thing that you just said is, is what a lot of people uh, complain about uh, you know it's funny that you uh, that, that, that you mentioned the diversity in, in, in casting and things like that when you also mentioned uh, Beverly Hills 90210 you don't you don't think about it, but I don't think they introduce a black character in that show until like the sixth or seventh season. All right. You know, so I mean, I know those kind of things. All right, all right. You know, but then you did a reboot with a uh, uh, Matt Wise or uh, as a main character, and he was black, so that was interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of TV shows like that when I was growing up. It's like the Beyond. Uh, it wouldn't be fitting. Uh, we're talking about R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. We didn't bring up Bill Cosby, but beyond Bill Cosby and the Cosby Show and Different World, uh, Family Matters, and uh, you know, you can count probably count on uh, one hand the number of African American uh, TV shows growing up. Uh, but there were a lot of shows that I thoroughly enjoyed that I didn't see any black characters. Growing Pains. I don't remember seeing anybody uh, you black in. Think about it though. Yeah, we didn't think about it. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, like I said, when, when what you got is what you got, you don't really really perceive it. But I was going to talk about Zion Shoe, but we, we, we're jumping up on the two-hour mark. Uh, so I'm going to ask my, my last question, the question of the day. This was very interesting. I saw this on, uh, I think, the Shade Room. Uh, and the question is, <laughs> if you were stranded on an island, would you rather have unlimited movies or music? My answer to that was a resounding unlimited movies. Uh, I'm a movie guy. Uh, that's generally what I do uh, in my, I don't have spare time, but when I can make spare time, I like watching movies. Plus, I think with movies, I can get the both, best of both worlds because in movies, there there's music. So, that kind of sealed the deal for me. I can watch a musical documentary if I want to watch music. Uh, let me say, let me say this uh, before uh, I give you my answer, Coach. Um, 
have you watched John Wick yet? I watched the first one. That, did, well, did you watch all? I watched, and I didn't get. It, I told you what happened. I can't say what. <laughs> I can't say on the podcast what happened because my wife was gonna be upset. But you can't be watching John Wick on like TBS or uh, or We or whatever because you're not, yeah. you're not gonna get the full effect. You gotta watch it on Netflix or uh, you know, not that I condone it, but download it and watch it. Right, right. You know, something like that. But uh, but I agree with you as far as uh, as my answer. It'd definitely be movies, um, and I tell you why. It's actually kind of scientific, um, <laughs> because as a man, men are visually uh, are stimulated visually. Oh, uh, now we're gonna get into what kind of movies John is gonna watch. I didn't. No, I wasn't talking about that. <laughs> Those aren't movies. Those are breaks. Um, no, because you know when when a that's why women are are uh, a lot of women are, are so set on uh, their body issues and things like that because they're trying to attract men, and men are uh, attracted through visual, which is why when you see uh, a woman with large breasts, the man's like he forgets how to speak. Yeah, I think a man could just see some breasts. Period. I don't care. How- I'm, yeah, just give me a movie of breast. That's all I need. I don't need unlimited music. I don't whatever movie. Just just a movie of nothing but breasts. I'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So basically, just let me watch Baywatch twenty four seven. I'll be fine. Yeah, and then you could pump in Uncle Luke uh, and, and Kilo, and you'd be in heaven. Oh man, the Freak Nick ninety six. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm to tell everybody, you shouldn't be doing this. Morals, got to do better. They didn't listen, so I joined in. But <laughs> definitely movies for me. Uh, I'm a movie guy. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, this kind of kind of I, what I use as my escape. But uh, what a great podcast we had today. I sure appreciate you being a part of it. I appreciate uh, you having me. Thank you. No doubt. No doubt. Shout out to Anchor. Shout out to uh, uh, our new uh, hosting site, Spotify. And uh, I don't even know what the other one I said was. Uh, Spotify and Pocket Cast. Uh, shout out to those guys. And uh, look forward to to next time. We'll get together, figure out figure out when, when the next one will come up. Uh, but until then, I appreciate you. And have a great day. And, Goodbye to the people. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. We out. Episode two in the books.